Is poverty always what we think it is? And do the parents we work with even know they are living in poverty? Welcome to St Michael's first ever podcast, Working with Parents. My name is Sarah and through this series I want to look more deeply into the lives of the parents we help. We already had a hunch, but according to Public Health England, parenting is the biggest single factor affecting children's development and well-being. Our main focus as a charity is keeping children safe by supporting their parents and we do this in the community and also at our residential assessment centres. In this podcast, we'll be looking at some of the issues affecting how parents look after their children, from managing with learning difficulties to their own childhood trauma. We will also be talking to some other local organisations that help us support parents. This week's first podcast coincides with the Challenge London Poverty Week, organised by the 4 in 10 network. Over 700,000 children in London are living in poverty and the numbers are rising. First, I spoke to Sheila, one of our young parent practitioners who supports young mums and dads in Lambeth. I asked her how the parents she's supporting are experiencing increased poverty. When people speak of poverty, I always start with my thoughts of what does poverty mean? And I would say, you know, when you think about poverty on a whole, it's, um, it's about people not being able to meet a certain standard of living or, you know, meeting their basic needs. And I think that's going to be, I mean, meeting the standard of living will be according to one's perspective. Yeah. Um, and it's going to vary. It's going to vary according to your life experience. And so when I think of poverty, it doesn't automatically go to finances. And I believe that for a lot of people, it always goes there. And so I think of poverty and how does it affect my young people? I think about the relationships that they have. Are they able to, you know, are they, are they poor in positive relationships? Um, do they have like, and as far as this day and age, we think of, you know, equipment, data, connecting. And so mm-hmm. do they have the means to connect with others? Um, and right now in, with COVID, do they have the means to connect with others virtually? I know I've had a lot of the parents contacting me asking when a group's back on. So I know for sure that they are absolutely missing coming together and connecting with each other in, you know, physically, person to person, eye to eye, skin to skin. Um, And I know that we at St. Michael's provided that space for them and it wasn't just a space for them where we could talk at them. They used to come together and they would eat together. They would socialise, but it also allowed their children to socialise in a space that they felt safe. And within that space, they were able to form new relationships. But also, it was an opportunity for us to, you know, we could see what was happening with them. And so we could, as professionals, connect with them. And it could be like having like the off-chance intervention that was brought about within unstructured conversations. And so we would see that they may need something. And for some, it could just be a hug. And we were able to see it and then do something about it. And if we couldn't do it, we could direct them to somewhere. And I really feel that they're missing out on that person-to-person interaction. I know when we've talked before as well, um, you've said that um, 
sometimes the parents that you you work with don't really recognize that they're living in poverty mm-hmm. and so I wonder like how you how you address that with them do you know when I, when I again it's this this word poverty and yes they don't recognize it and I can I can only go back to that when I think about my own experience and as a child growing up we looking back we're living in poverty but when I was growing up for me having hot water on my cornflakes was the absolute norm and I suppose you know we'd have hot water and sometimes we'd have milk and I never saw it as a treat I just saw it as an alternative um, and it was only being exposed to other things and other experiences and through other, seeing other people that made me see that there was that actually what we had was not the norm it was the norm within our house but not the norm according to society and the, the culture, the society that I was living in at the time. And so the young people that I meet, when I, I can see and I, I, I may feel that what they're, you know, that they are poor or living in poverty, I may feel that, but I have to have conversations with them to find out, you know, to, to think about, for them to think about what it is that they, what they have, how much of their treasure do they see it as the norm is it their norm? Is it something that they, they would like to change? And so I suppose we have conversations about, I can say to them, in your perfect world, what would, be, what, what would your situation look like? And then within that conversation, we can, you know, I can try and weave in ideas of alternatives or, you know, what if you tried this? Do you think that you'd be able to achieve your goal? If you feel that your life is, if you, if you feel that what's happening for you is absolutely fine and right, but I may see or feel something different. I can show it to them and say, do you think that that would suit you? Do you, would you like to achieve that? You know, whatever it is. Um, so. Jolie's one of the young mums Sheila helps. She went into the care system when she was a teenager and she's been fighting for the right to remain in the UK for the last few years. Being unable to work, she's constantly relying on support. She's currently in temporary accommodation. I asked her how that felt. Feels pretty annoying because feels like my life is in other people's hands. Not necessarily my life, but you know where you live is a big part of your life. So it makes me feel a bit out of control that mm. I have to wait around for people all the time. Yeah. Um, and that if if I was in a better position financially, none of this would be happening. I'll be I'll be more free to 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 do certain things yeah, yeah no definitely um, it makes me feel a bit frustrated it makes me never feel relaxed that's why I never feel relaxed in my houses ever because I always know that I can move I mean this is the eighth house I've moved in since 2016 so I literally I just never feel relaxed anywhere I never I never unpack I never unpack certain things I have even now in this house I have things that are still in boxes because I'm always, at the back of my mind, it's always, you know what, you can always move any minute, you never know, they can always just send you off somewhere. Jolie's situation has left her in a difficult position, where she has to rely on food banks. I asked her how that makes her feel. Worthless. Makes me feel mm, less of a parent. Makes me feel that, as a mum, when you decide to have your child, you should always, you should know 
how you're going to provide for them. You should have that. You shouldn't rely on food from other anyone else, unless it's your family or friends. And even that is like if you really need it, because you've decided to look after to raise a child, so you must know how to look after them. So yeah, it makes me feel oh real down, especially sometimes when I'm walking with my son. I just look down, and just I don't even want to tell him where we're going because I don't want him to know that that I'm doing that. Not that I'm saying anything's mm-hmm. wrong with that. I'm grateful for it, but yeah, it just makes me feel worthless. It just makes me feel horrible. Like I can't provide for my son, and that's that's a, that's something I always think about. And just having to go there just puts puts an extra strain on it. Because before I used to just mm-hmm. um, not tell anyone and then just, just suck it out. But then I, was, I just had to put my pride aside and tell yeah. Sheila. We hear these sentiments a lot from the parents we work with. Most never imagined they would find themselves relying on charity to survive. I spoke to another young mum and care leaver, Alice. She's living in a mother and baby unit in South London. Her daughter is now free and she dreams of getting a place of her own. Okay, keep them in the box then, all right? Please and thank you. Okay? Hello, sorry about that. That's alright. It's just a rule that I have. You don't eat on the bed because it's just messy. Because yeah. obviously where the dryer don't work on my floor, it's like I'm going to have to use the dryer downstairs. And it's just like really frustrating because the washing machine on my floor is broken. Oh. So like washing that bedding and stuff. Like little stuff, like I hang it up and stuff. But like with bedding, I need a dryer. There's no... I mean, it's more different. Is it, I expect there's not much room to hang, hang up bedding in your room. No, like I would have to hang it up because I don't have a clothes for them because we're stuck in one room. I don't have a lot of space. I do have space, but it's just, where do I put it? I know that you want it. I know that the hope is that you can, you can leave the accommodation and get your own place. But what is worrying you about that? Um, it's not so much worry, but... It's just, do you want a bowl? Okay, mommy will get you a bowl. It's just the frustration knowing that it's like, when I need the accommodation, I'm going to have to pay rent, water bills. Because right now, to be honest, I'm living cushy. All I have to do is um, a service charge. So I'm not having to pay for the water, I'm not having to pay for the electric. But I know when I move and stuff, it's going to be more difficult. Because you have to pay water bills, you have to pay rent. You have to pay gas, electric, and stuff like that. It's just frustrating. Like, Amaya spent three years of her life in this place, and she knows this place is home. And it's not home, do you know what I mean? It should, she shouldn't... Obviously, it's all she knows, so she knows this place is home. But I know when we move, it's going to be difficult for her to settle in and stuff. So it's going to affect her in the long run as well. Do you know what I mean? A new room, a new environment... Then I'm going to have problems with getting her to sleep in her own room because where we're stuck in one room and things like that. So it's going to be more difficult on me now. Like, it would have been easier if she was younger. I do need my own place. Because Amaya needs her own space. I need my own space as well. And then I can just think on getting into education and that. But my focus right now is housing. And then once I sort out my housing, then I can focus on what do I need. Often when people think things are about to get better, new problems come up and bite them. For example, people imagine that when you find somewhere to live, things will get easier, but that's not always the case. When Alice finally gets a new place to live, she's going to need furniture. 
Over the last few years, we've been applying for grants for parents we work with from a small trust called Housing the Homeless. They were set up 50 years ago by a probation officer who realised that people coming out of homelessness needed more help than just the home. They give small grants of up to £300 to people who need furniture for their new accommodation. I spoke to Frankie, who works for the charity. I asked her why giving furniture was so important. I think the most important impact our grants have is summed up by, in a quote from one of our donors, who said, relatively modest funds are able in some cases to totally transform an individual's life and in all cases make a considerable difference to their living conditions. I think that the grants are often crucial in helping resettlement. They make... um, They help the workers and the people who have just moved into their new house work work together, help them work together. I think that um, the grant sometimes um, help in preventing the collapse of the care plans and maybe even catapulting individuals back onto rounds of homelessness and despair. When you first move into your own accommodation, it's very overwhelming to see an empty flat with uh, and you with very little money. And although you're excited to move, you still see an empty flat. So I think some of our grants make a great difference because they provide very basic, even though it's very small grant, very basic furniture such as a bed, a cooker, a fridge, bedding. Being able to access this kind of support can really help our professionals and the people that work for us build stronger relationships with parents. It opens doors for us to give them other kinds of help. Cheryl is one of the parents on the Securing Change project. She was really fed up with working with professionals, but she reluctantly took the call from Anne-Marie and heard about the Housing for Homeless grant. First felt that she wasn't really enjoying having to engage with me. But over time, as I built a relationship with her, I noticed that she has this outstanding quality and determination when she sets her mind to... um, the goals that she wants to achieve. The offer of such practical help combined with Anne-Marie's honesty and gentle persistence paid off. She mentioned at the time when she was explaining about the grant to me that she can help look after Daisy if I have any appointments I need to attend to. Then a few weeks later I suddenly thought, you know what, I need someone to watch Daisy really while I go to the dentist. So that's when I emailed her and said, oh, you mentioned about watching Daisy if I had any appointments would you mind watching her for this uh, for a dentist appointment because I want to get my teeth sorted out and get dentures and that's when she said yeah she'll be happy to and yeah it started yeah growing from there. Cheryl struggled with poverty before I asked her how it was different now she was a parent. You know, just safety things like with safety gates, thing you know, things that you actually need that you have to basically go without food 
for like a week you know you can have beans on toast or something because you're saving the pen you know for them to like go inside so they've got they can't sort of they can move around like a safety um play pen yeah so if i go toilet then i know that she's in the play pen or i can shut the gate so i know that she can't get out that's the point i haven't shut the gate <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's calling. Um, yeah, food-wise as well, because um, I I don't I you know sort of buy her I buy her organic. I was making it myself, um, but that's expensive as well. Getting all the proper ingredients like fish, white boneless fish, I'd get from Sainsbury's. That's like four pounds for two, but I could get a good four meals out of that um chicken to make different chicken two different chicken dishes and stuff but um yeah so that's quite an expense so i have to go without something or you know instead of buying a nice tiger bread loaf for a pound i have to get stale you know sort of bread for 40p the grants also make a difference because they free up money for other necessities. I have meetings with social services on Zoom and things and the help visitors and stuff like that. So it's necessary for me. I had to buy a laptop as well because um, I couldn't do all the meetings on my mobile phone. Cause it's a very old mobile phone that I have. And so I had to get a laptop so they could see Daisy properly and stuff, which, yeah, which I sort of saved my money with as well through the getting the grant so it was spent on something that i i needed basically cheryl is really determined to change her life but Anne marie worries about other parents she works with especially with the current situation caused by covid you know this these vulnerable people are you know left in a flat um struggling financially they never have any money i have no idea where the money goes but they never have any money um so yeah it's it, it i think it's been hard especially for people that have learning needs yeah because a lot of things they would be able to go and have access to they aren't able to have access to those things and then they're stuck in a flat with their partners or on their own um and there's this couple they they don't even have their children they've not had any contact with their children and this has all been since lockdown so yeah, it's quite difficult for people, especially people with learning difficulties or mental health, to be isolated from the outside world and not have anyone to talk to. And then they're, you know, entertaining themselves by maybe buying things that they can't afford online or, um, you know, just as this, her partner's doing gambling online. Mm. So there is, a, there, is a, there is a need for reaching out to these people who have learned and need to just check on and make sure they're okay and see if there's anything we could do to help them to kind of like stem the, the boredom, to let them know that we haven't, they haven't been forgotten. Poverty grips the parents we support in so many different ways. It's a cycle that once you're on it, it's difficult to get off. Even so, it's important we really understand what people need and don't make assumptions. Here, Sheila makes an observation about the dangers of putting our own values on someone else. There is a note that I've just quickly made here, and it was something that I remembered when I was in training. And I remember sitting in the training and a participant saying, 
uh, we were speaking about um, poor parents and how they haven't gotten, you know, um, poverty. And the the participant in the training was saying how you know they couldn't even afford a table and chairs, and they walked in the in the route in the dining room, and there was no table and chairs in there. She's really she felt really sorry for this family. And then I had to raise that actually that family could have preferred to sit on the floor and eat together in a circle or even just, you know, they may feel that that is more intimate and they may never have never sat around a table and chairs and they may never want a table and chairs. So it was actually her, that participant, putting her own living standards on another and I was you know that really opened my eyes to how we really can make judgments on people according to our own standards. I'd like to thank everybody who helped us make this podcast happen. If you like what you heard please subscribe to our Working With Parents podcast and share it with others. And get in touch if you have any comments or questions about our work at St. Michael's or any of the things you heard today. Thanks for listening. Bye till next time.